Hello and welcome to the latest TES International podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this month's episode, we're joined by Kate Mosqua, the principal at Arcus International School in Bahrain, to talk about the vitally important topic of safeguarding in the international school sector. She tells us about how her school has seen a notable rise in safeguarding referrals due to the impact of the pandemic on students and how the school has worked to meet their needs, from offering support and guidance to ensuring staff have up-to-date CPD to meet their needs, and how the rise in online CPD in particular is facilitating this. We also look at the broader context of safeguarding in international schools, from the importance of using the expertise of your local staff when engaging with parents on sensitive topics, to how leaders have to be adaptable to changing cultural expectations and the circumstances of safeguarding when moving between schools, countries and continents. All that and lots more on the latest TES International Podcast. Hi Kate, welcome to the International Podcast. Great to chat with you. Um, How are you today? Hi Dan, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, good. Yes, good. Um, And what's the weather with you like at the moment it's not very nice here in the uk but i'm guessing it's a bit warm it with you not nice here we're in the midst of a sandstorm oh. so everything is covered in dust and uh can't really be outside so it's quite unusual for april for us to have a sandstorm uh, right like this. yes yeah. well, this, this is this is international teaching i suppose isn't it different weather the different climates but you're stuck indoors so perfect for a podcast and we're going to be talking about a very important topic obviously um whether whether wherever you're teaching in the world um around safeguarding um, something we've talked about before and I suppose let's just set the scene though like why are we talking about this today obviously the pandemic you know in some parts of the world is still ma- very much ongoing but I think fair to say in your part of the world you're, you're back in school a bit more yes. normality is sort of there but that's opened up you, know, you need to look at safeguarding again so can you tell us a bit about about why why that is Absolutely. So now we have students fully back in, in, in school. And I think what, what we've started to see, what we started to see was a pattern from the older students where really they had been in their bedroom for the most part of two years, you know, not because they've been locked in or anything, but because they're of that age where, you know, teenagers, they want their own space. And so they weren't getting out socially really at all um so they were schooling online and then obviously anything to do with friends were online so what we saw when they came back into circulation you know in the school population was that there were a number of issues varying from from you know issues at home to to issues with mental health and well-being and that they now had the opportunity to talk face to face with people that these dis- disclosures started to come very quickly from them um, at an almost surprising rate that you know as a as a leadership team we did sit and say look we this is this is not a problem for us but this is you know something we didn't foresee happening Mm -hmm. Uh, we knew that there would be um, consequences from this pandemic but we envisage that you know more particularly with the younger students you know penmanship they haven't used pens for Mm. two years reading perhaps not being of the level and to some extent we expected with the older students that academically but i don't think any of it has quite realized the impact of them being in their bedroom for two years as older students are they're quite private and so we really did start to see this this sort of snowballing mm. when they were back in and then as a school really then had to be proactive in right how do we support them moving forward um with these issues that were arising 
Yeah. And and obviously you you, know, you would have had your safeguarding procedures and yes. your staff and your training in place before the pandemic. But was it a case then of looking at that again and thinking, you, you know, we more staff need to be trained up or we need refreshers or we're gonna, you know, how did you make sure then you could meet that this new sort of demand on those kind of services? Yeah. So we'd had the safeguarding training. Everyone had received it. Um, a couple of years ago, we'd, we, we'd um, appointed two child protection leads. Um, and, you know, they do a great job. But what we were seeing is, yeah, A, they were inundated. And, 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 it, and with some of the disclosures, that's a lot for them to carry on their own. Um, and so what else started to become apparent that certain staff we had um, the students seemed to, to find them comfortable enough to make disclosures to them. So from it, it became apparent that we had certain members of staff who had this knack. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but the, 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 this personality that, that students were found that they could, you know, um, disclose with them and were confident enough with them and comfortable enough with them to talk quite freely. And so from that now, we do actually have an additional um, child mm. protection officer because, because of the amount of disclosures that were being made to him just through his role as teacher and yeah. homeroom teacher. Um, so you, from that, yes, definitely the, the number of staff taking key roles in this area is growing. Mm. And does that also include, I don't know, again, like more staff training or, I mean, I'm getting, I know it would always be on the agenda, but do you think is that sort of, is it sort of really come up to the top of the agenda almost for the, the yes, recent period of time? Definitely. Hmm. And for us, you know, um, because it's, you know, you have that traditional idea of safeguarding, but I think with the pandemic, it's kind of with, with a lot of things in academics, it's, it, it's thrown up issues and things that perhaps were not a, parent before and so yes for us as a school um it's highlighted um that the safeguarding training needs to be consistent we need to involve students we need to involve parents as well for us that's really something pulling parents in and doing things to help them uh with 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 safeguarding awareness as well for so that they you know can approach this from home so it, as a community it has increased um the need for training and awareness mm, yeah do you think then it's interesting because you're saying the pupils came back and then there was this you know this almost like deluge i think you maybe you said that word um but, but certainly a large number of things being yeah. said and referrals now, in some ways, that, that is quite a positive, though, isn't it? Because it shows that when the students came back, the community had had, had maintained over the pandemic, and they felt there were staff, like you said, the, even this, this member of staff who, you know, and I think some people are naturally more open, or people can be open to them. Does it make you think that, I suppose, in some ways, it makes you think, you know, it shows in the value of all international schools really need to be on their guard about this. Because if you're a school where, for whatever reason, your safeguarding culture isn't as strong, maybe, or you, or for whatever, you know, member of staff has just left, you've just got the new person in, and there's that crossover, and the students aren't quite sure who to turn to. These issues are out there. Doesn't matter how resilient kids were in the pandemic, and of course they were. You're seeing firsthand that they also have problems, and then they want to talk to the people about them. Yeah, I think it's uh, for me. I'm, I'm. I think it's you know an excellent thing. I'm really proud that that we have a uh, you know an environment where they feel safe enough mm. to make these disclosures, and we have staff that are aware for signs where students, you know, perhaps they haven't disclosed yet, but they're seeing a change in behavior and they're, and they're just, you know, um, 
yeah, they're able to spot this. And I think that's brilliant with staff, just having staff who say, yeah, there's something about this student, it's a bit different. And then they're having those conversations with perhaps grade leaders or, 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 or then going straight to the safeguarding lead and saying, I'm concerned about this. So for me, that's fantastic. But yes, within the boundaries of an international school, if you don't have that environment for whatever reason, you know, for, for, for students, where do they go? If they're not living in their home country per se, um, you know, then they've must, they're very much on their own. And, and it's not well known for international students. If you can't have, you know, the support from school and obviously for whatever reason, you're not going to go to your family. They're really quite isolated mm. in terms of, of who to make a disclosure to or who to talk to. And so that's something, yeah, to be concerned about for them. Um, very isolated, actually. Yeah, yeah. It shows, like, like I say, particularly in the international world, school is is such a part of. It's Huge. also so embedded in the, the social side of a, of a person's life. Now, one one quick question before we carry on. You've talked mainly about older pupils here, and I think that's understandable. But you know, what, is that the case? Is it predominantly we are talking here the older age groups, or did you also see a sort of increase it from younger children who, again, maybe don't have the, they can't articulate as well, but the teachers can say, well, "That child was really happy before, and something's not right." Yeah, so we have things like that as well, rather than with the very young students, obviously, we're not, they're not disclosing per se, mm -hmm. but um, with, with this renewed focus as a school, staff are, you know, are aware of any potential changes and they are highlighting it, you know, so like you say, students who are suddenly quiet all the time or who don't want to go home at the end of the day, you know, really upset that school's finished and they're having to go home. These sorts of signs, um, you know, we're not, we're not seeing perhaps, you know, the amount of cases as the older students, but as I said, the, the staff, there's a, there's a raised awareness of what to look for or notice or, and like we always say with staff, it doesn't matter if it is nothing, you know, if at the end of the day, it becomes apparent that it's, there's no, there's no serious concern. It's just, you know, something else. The key thing is here to report it, to erase the awareness, you know, because not raising it, you know, the consequences are far worse. So what we wanted staff to, to understand as well is don't hold back because you think, oh, I don't know, you know, share that concern. Yeah, I appreciate this is a this is maybe a tricky question to answer, but hopefully we can talk in sort of general things here. But what what are some of the issues that are coming up that, that you're seeing? And do you think are they off the back of the pandemic, or do you think they're things that maybe were there before? And again, I appreciate we can't obviously talk about you know specific cases, but trend wise, are you seeing is it is it being on social media so much in the pandemic has that had an impact, or is it that lack of isolation and or that isolation and lack of socialization mm -hmm. that you think has bled into some of the problems you've been seeing? I think. I think it's a combination. We have a lack of socialization. You know, if if you're if you get, you know, all your worth and uh from the social media, from online, you know, we know the impact of social media on students, on 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 body image, on on confidence, on these sorts of things. So we know that that negative impact it can help, uh, can have. If you're not then having that outside socialization and 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 reality, mm. um that has an effect. What I do, what is really apparent is a huge shift in awareness of students' own mental health. 
you know, they are very aware of, of their mental health and their anxiety. So to begin with, we saw huge cases of students with, with, with quite severe anxiety levels where once, you know, a normal assessment, you know, if you're doing IB, you would have IAs and assessments. We're seeing normal high achievers unable to cope, mm. unable to cope with the pressure, unable to cope with the time management. And, you know, these, whereas previously you would not normally, you know, IB mm. or anything like that can be, can be stressful at times, but this was a huge number of students just, I can't do it. I can't do this. And so the confidence levels had dropped massively. Um, and that was quite interesting because, yeah, it was surprising. It mm. was really surprising, um, you know, the amount that, 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 that were saying they couldn't cope with the return to school academically. And I think it was a combination of back in a social scene, back with, you know, with routine and then your academics, and it just was too much for them. But also a real, they were very aware of how they were feeling. Mm. That is interesting with, because... Yeah. Sorry, yes, because we, I think in the that that social shift to understanding one's own mental health, and you know, it's certainly in the UK, we've seen it a lot. You know, you know ad, there's adverts on TV now, you know, for, for health services around that, and, and and all that kind of stuff. And and obviously, though, is that's that's global then by the sounds, or certainly patches of, of the global community, and that's so. manifested. Yeah, and I guess that's a good thing, isn't it? Actually, like I say, it leads to these situations that you know you have to deal with, but much better that students have that inner reflection to then say. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think because when we were at school, you know, it was just, okay, you will be stressed or you will feel this way or, you know, and there was an awareness that, hey, you don't have to feel like that. There's there's mechanisms to help you. Like for us, it was kind of just like mm. suck it up. You know, this yeah. is this is this is the journey yeah. and this is what we all do and everyone just gets on. And now the fact that, that, that there's an awareness from students of I feel this way. So now, you know, we can, we can talk with them about mechanisms to cope with feeling that way. And so we can approach this in a whole group manner. We can approach it individually. And where we see that they're not using or the coping mechanisms are not working for them, that's where then we can intervene because we can see actually this goes a bit deeper than you know, I've just got anxiety about my grades. Mm -hmm. And that's where then things, you know, um, become more apparent that there's other issues at play. So, you know, in many sense, like you said, I think it's a great thing, this awareness. And I think it's great that we now have an awareness of coping strategies as well. Mm. Do you, um, we, we sort of touched on this, but we should sort of maybe delve in a bit deeper, but as a school then, what have you done or have you done or are you planning to do anything sort of proactively in terms of whether that's for staff or students to, to talk about this on a sort of whole school level? Like, you know, have you had big conversation with staff to say like that, that this is a thing you will need to be a bit clued up on it or with students to have everyone's come back to look, we're aware you come back. It's difficult. We know here's some things, you know, have you anything like that? Or is it still more in a kind of when it comes up, you deal with it there, there and then Situation. Heads of schools have, I mean, we've talked with staff about it. Heads of schools have done uh, have done some training sessions. In terms of, you know, we've done some uh, assemblies um, and we have a whole guidance department focused 
whose focus is so in in the Middle East, which was quite new to me. When you have a, a school, you must have school counselors and guidance, and what they call guidance, and they are uh, you know trained counselors that they're, they're supposed to to work you know with students with with those sorts of areas. And so they've done. So for example, this week uh, we're having another awareness um, campaign about safeguarding and 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 what they can do if they feel a certain way and who did they talk to and we're doing this for parents and for students so rather than just you know sort of um reacting we are trying to be proactive with this and and so a focus on mindfulness mm. um uh doing sessions for students to help with anxiety to help you know looking at the triggers okay so what are the triggers for you with academic anxiety um and 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 providing things like that to help them um i it's ongoing i think yeah. you know being with being proactive that we still have to look more and, and and offer more but that's something as a school we are committed we're committed to doing yeah um and i think as, as the the academic year goes on we will see that perhaps as you know okay we need to you know change course a bit and look at this more hmm. so the, we have regular meetings with heads of schools with guidance so that this is highlighted you know if there's any particular students who you know from any of these meetings are saying things that we're concerned about then this is shared so that we're all involved and can support and and move forward that way one of the things we heard a lot in the pandemic was about you know, uh, online CPD and people being comfortable doing CPD online now. And again, I'm thinking that must be, is that something you, you've done anything yet or will you, do you think you might? Whereby, like say, if you see a new issue coming up and your, your safeguarding leads or indeed any member of staff says, look, I'm a bit, I don't really know enough about this. I want a bit more training. You know, that can be more easily facilitated now maybe because you can find the sort of best person. Mm-hmm. You can jump on a Zoom call, do a meeting. Is that happening? Hugely for safeguarding, because like I said, most of the time, your jurisdiction for safeguarding is quite it's it's quite cloudy because you know you've got children from different nationalities so you've got the country where the school is at you've got those sorts of say you know whatever they do for safeguarding and then you've got students from different from different countries so i think for international schools being able to train online is brilliant so mm-hmm. we do a lot of our safeguarding training online so we use um can I mention? So we use yeah. a company at the moment called My Concern, which has been great. It's a program where uh, staff can report any safeguarding concerns, and then certain people have access to see that and so forth and so forth. So it's really it's a really great um, program to use. It's confidential, and it, it, it My Concern is started by some ex policemen from the UK actually, and so through that they do run continuous training based on safeguarding. Um, also ECIS, we use them a lot for safeguarding training mm-hmm. um, because trying to, particularly during the pandemic, fly anyone in to do any training, forget it. And so I find that the safeguarding training, which we get from official bodies, say for example, in the UK, can sometimes cover all those different sort of jurisdictions and nationalities mm-hmm. and things, laws and things like that and give you that very good baseline for all your staff. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to hear that that's playing out because that's what everyone talked about, wasn't it? This, this idea in the pandemic, we all did this, we are comfortable doing it. And again, to hear that, and, and it strikes me as, as, of course, like you say, if you can, 
if you, your staff want to get some dedicated training in a certain area and this is the right people to do it. And, you know, in the old days, it'd be like, oh, well, you've got to fly them over or yeah. wait to hear them at a conference, which, you know, even though all the technology existed, we just didn't think like that. Whereas now yeah. it's, oh, they're running a Zoom session. You could jump on for an hour after work, you know, yeah. come back to the school, share the insights, however it works. Seems like a particularly safeguard where it's such a fast moving thing and there's new issues coming up and there's new concerns to be aware of and there's online trends and there's what, what kids are up to now and what's the what what their peers telling exactly. them to do, you know, you need to be constantly refreshing on it. So I think that sounds like makes, makes yeah. a lot of sense. And like you know, certain countries, you know, are not their safeguarding is not perhaps at a level that other countries are at. So being able to access safeguarding that's coming from a certain point, uh, a certain you know, um, a certain uh, like a high standard, yeah. yes, is really helpful for international schools mm. because you have to, you know, safeguarding around the world is not the same. It's not approached the same because you have the cultural differences, you have the acceptance of certain things, you have infrastructure that perhaps doesn't support, you know, effective safeguarding. So, as a school, being able to access that and bring it to your staff, it's it's, it's incredibly beneficial. Mm. There, yes, I'm sure there's other, I, I well presume there'll be people listening to this who are doing the same or, or looking at the same. And if not, sort of, it seems to me like it's the, it's the way to go on a lot of this stuff. You know, of course, face-to-face will have its place you know, in, in times, but overall it seems like, you know, the online learnings you can gain are, are massive. Um, and, and so I, I want to talk about like, you know, the more broader international sphere and the, and the cultural context. I think we'll come back to that shortly though. But I think just sort of in your school right now, the situation you're seeing, uh, again, like where are you at exactly? Because exam season's around the corner or, or, you know, so presumably you talked about exam exam anxiety. I mean, but obviously people are back in school. Would you say that that initial sort of, again, the, the, the sort of num- high number of people, of people's referring, mm-hmm. is that sort of just maintaining or has that sort of eased off a bit now you've come back for a bit it's longer? Eased off. It's eased off a bit, um, I think, because we've been back now properly for a few months. Mm. So it's ease off a bit. Um, we're seeing, you know, with with offering the counselling and the and the different strategies to cope. We're seeing, you know, because we're about to start IBs, IGCSEs, um, that yeah, it's definitely eased off from what it was. But I think what's a positive is that students now know where to, where to go. They now know that they can discuss certain things you know, and they, and school is one, you know, will support them with these disclosures, you know, whether it's very serious, you know, or whether it's, you know, about just well-being, which is also serious. That's the thing, which is also very serious to them. So we don't use that kind of terminology, like if it's super serious, go here. You know, it's just about, we're glad they feel safe enough. They know that staff will listen. They know that th- you know things will, will will happen, and and that and that's yeah. you know they feel supported. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think everyone listening will know exactly the point you were making there about those sort of different gradations of, of yeah. where a safeguarding responsibility goes and what what needs to be done because there are aren't there? There's going to be some, and you know, let's say everything needs to be spoken about, but some outcomes will, will be different. But but I think um, yes, and it sounds like the culture or school and and the fact that. Like you said, students know they can talk and know they've got help and know they'll be supported is, is, is a really positive one. That's what makes this all so interesting, isn't it? It's because like you said, you've said is that we're talking about one school in one country with, yeah. with one set of circumstances and cultural circumstances. But I know you said you've worked previously in Singapore and Malaysia, so you've seen other cultures and contexts of this, which, which does make it hard, doesn't it? Because you could have 
one school in one place where you, everything's great and you, and you move and, and because of the, the circumstances and the cultural context and all that, it's very, very different. Have you experienced that? Again, I appreciate you won't be able to talk about specifics probably, but just having moved around a bit, have you sort of had to, yeah. you know, as, a, as a leader, had to sort of go, oh, hang on, it's very different here. Or I need to sort of, I can't just, it's not going to be a lift and shift. It's going to be different. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the, that's the thing. When you do move to somewhere new, it, I, for me, I, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier, that it's incredibly important to try and um, integrate within the local culture. Even if you're a mostly expat school, I think still that underpins it, you know, the, the, that local cultural context. And that takes time when you are new to a new school. And for example, with Asia, one of the, you know, as you'd have students falling asleep in a classroom, right? And so in one country, it might mean there's neglect at home, you know, there's there's abuse, you know, physical abuse, or they're not, you know, well, no one's at home. They're not being governed. They can't get themselves to bed. Whereas in another country, more so perhaps in Asia as a whole, students are doing hours and hours of tutoring after mm. school. So they'll have music lessons, they'll have tutoring. And so that they are not getting to bed until midnight. And that's not because of traditional neglect from, from families. It's because the cultural expectations in, in that particular country are yeah. that you finish school, you go and do tutoring for an hour, you do music lessons for an hour, then you'll do a sport thing, then you'll go home, you'll finish your homework. So bedtime is 1 a.m. And then you're up at 5 mm. So it's that's for me, you know, you have to be mindful of, of the culture and the mindset of where you're working and when your school is at, because it throws up very different scenarios because culture, because, yeah. culture, because yeah. you know, society, society expectation. And in, and in, in the place I talk about with the, the children going to bed at one o'clock because of the children, you know, no one sees any problem with that. Mm. And, and, and I'm not saying there is a problem, but, but, but coming from a different culture into that, you have to be mindful not to, to label anything too quickly mm. until you understand the wider context within that society. Yes. So with that sort of scenario, you, you can approach it with parents and talk about, you know, I'm noticing your child is falling asleep a lot. They seem incredibly exhausted. And sort of reassurance of parents that, okay, for this particular subject, they're doing great. We have no concerns. Maybe they maybe reconsider the tutoring for that. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of counsel them that way rather than go in and be like, oh, you're a terrible parent. You know, your child's up <laughs> yes. to one. Because actually then they're doing it from a good place. So it's interesting that, around the world it does throw up these cultural differences so yeah it's very important as a school leader to to to, to understand these before applying well i'm from the uk and so this is what we would do here yeah that's you simply can't do that mm. yes you're right in that circumstance it's hard to say to someone oh stop wanting your child to have all the opportunities you want them to have you know yeah music lessons how dare you you know it's all it's all oh, very good goodness. stuff isn't it but it, it yeah. can have a negative consequence and i mean in that situation and again we're into areas here that are hard to talk about specifics but 
on the flip side, that's an example where things are kind of fundamentally coming from a good place. Do you have, have you encountered issues where I'm, I'm going to assume you probably have, where there's something, there is something concerning and trying to raise it with parents is, is very difficult because of what it involves talking about, what it involves the sort of their, that what's, you know, what the, the, their culture sort of prides itself on. It's going to, it's going to cross that line. I mean, do you, is that, do you, do you have to cross that line? Do you have to sort of sometimes hold back? Is it a case by case basis? I mean, that must be one of the hardest things to deal with, I imagine. Yes. And I think fundamentally the question that, that we always ask is, you know, is this child in imminent danger? Is this child, if we, if we don't move and, 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 and either involve parents or whatever, you know, is this safe, safeguarding issue, you know, is the child at risk? And quite often with the very serious, serious cases that yes, the child's at risk and you have to, you have to you have to involve family and it's very very difficult i'm very i'm very fortunate with the school i'm at that the child protection leads we have are incredibly um good at, at these scenarios with parents um and 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 the counseling of parents because quite often this is what then happens that you're you know, if if it's, you know, the situation is as such, and it's not the immediate family that it's perhaps outside, but the immediate family need to become aware to, 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 to help solve this situation, that you quite often go through these stages with the immediate family where you have to counsel them as well, because what they're hearing is incredibly difficult. And so so more often than not, where it's not the immediate family being the safeguarding concern, we do involve because we have we have a duty of care to do that. Mm. Um, I've not come across a case yet where we've been in a situation where we can't do that or it's not been received well. Um, fortunately, you know, fortunately. Of course, sometimes when you're involving parents, they hear things and it's uncomfortable and it and it's upsetting and you know to begin with they might be very shocked and upset but but like i said we have our child protection are incredibly good at, at the counseling and support mm. and we have different nationalities in child protection because that's important as well mm. when dealing with 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 an international parent body or student body um so yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Yes. But, but the end game is always the welfare of the student. So I think if you always have that as your end game, then 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 you will make the right decision. But it's not always an easy decision. And and for us, there's no knee jerk. You know, mm. unless obviously a child's in imminent danger to their life, and we need. But there's never you know, the knee jerk, it's, it, it, yeah. it's well thought, well thought through, well discussed with those people that should be discussing it. Um, the student is, 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 is on board to an extent, you know, they, they're aware of what, what the next steps are, but it, it's never, it's, you know, unfortunately it's never comfortable, but yes, no. I've not been in a situation where the immediate family has, whatever reason 
not being supportive yeah. and involved. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure it, lots. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm sure across the sector people have, have yeah. sort of bad stories that, you know, that, that, that were sort of quite, quite sobering, but, um, but it was very, you know, it's obvious you were, you were sort of choosing your words carefully there, but I think it's, it shows, you know, that it is a very important topic and that's why, and it, and it's, but, but, you know, fundamentally everything you said there, I'm sure everyone listening kind of gets that, that is the kind of reality we're in. And the interesting point you make about the, the, the nationalities of the safeguarding leads. I mean, is that something that, you know, is that part of the course, do you think, that people, you have those people in those roles with the different backgrounds so you can come at it together? Or do you think if not, that seems to me like a very good, you should definitely have a member of staff who's sort of local to the country as one of your safeguarding people, because then they're going to know, certainly, you know, they're just, inherently they're going to know the cultural context of things more than the person who's flown in and been there for two years kind of situation. Massively. And I think I'm quite fortunate. The school I'm in is... Um, is 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 not your traditional all expat staff mm. and all expat student body. We have a lot more um, local students and we have a lot more local staff. But for me, even if I was in a different school, I would look to try and get someone who is local to understand because quite often, you know, we might think it's this and um, we'll, we'll, we'll steam off in one direction or think, you know, it's quite clear cut, we'll approach it in this way. But actually... We don't have those nuances to the local culture mm. and, and understanding how that might be perceived or how they might move forward with that. So for me, I think it's it, it's very important to have someone local on your child protection team to help with this because only they will know, mm. you know, the approach, the culture, the practice, all these things that much as we're well-traveled and we've lived abroad for years and we might have been in a country for years, we are not local. Mm. We are visitors. So, yeah, for me, I, 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 I think it would be a shame if schools do not take that approach because it is so, it's beneficial on so many levels. Yes. Well, that's certainly, and it goes to the heart of, I mean, I remember, I think, was it 18 months ago, I, one of the first, when I first started writing about the international sector was this rise in the local population in international schools and so kind of it's something like if you're not doing what you're describing there you're kind of ignoring a trend that is going to is either with you already if you haven't opened your eyes to it or, or it's happening and you're not you it's going to happen soon so you need to have that and, and you know i certainly know there's a lot of teachers i spoke to who said that you know that that local insight as you to your point you you will never get it you're not you don't come from that country you you wouldn't didn't grow up with the customer and the culture so you need to turn to your local staff and say what do i do here or how do i broach this or does this or the language of this email be misinterpreted yeah. because of how what I've yeah. said, you know, and I think that's yeah. really important, isn't it? And it goes to the heart of how, but and, and in some ways, that's what makes international schools great, isn't it? Is that they have this meeting of worlds and we're all, everyone's coming together for the, the purpose of education, which is, you know, great, but it, and that involves keeping children safe. So everyone has to yeah. come together on that as well. It can't be a kind of, oh, you know, just that SLT member who, you know, does that. It's got yeah. to be everyone working It's got together. a big culture. Yes. And, 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 and a community. And so, for us, because we have a predominantly uh, local student body, that therefore, with the awareness now we're doing with the safeguarding, you know, it would just be ridiculous for me just to stick all expats there and try and tell my local, or try and imagine what my local parents might think, you know. So it, it's got to be that fusing, you know. Like I said, yeah, the bottom line is safety of the children. Parents want it. We want it. We've come together. How do we do it? Mm. How do we move forward? How do we ensure that that we're doing this to the best of our ability? Yeah. And you know, 
as an international school, as a school in a different country. You know, it's mm. it, it should be. I think the the school should have that same same approach. You know, if if possible, and if they're not, then the culture should should shift really mm. because. A lot of international schools are not what they were. Traditionally, international schools were were full of expats and with an expat staff, but that 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 format has changed massively over the years. And so my my experience is working mostly in international schools where it's not fully expat, where now that you know the, the country where the school is, a lot of a lot of people are wanting choosing to send their children to international schools. So that that changes the nature of the school mm. immediately. Um, so yeah, the, I think that highlights why it's even more important to, yeah. to, to take local. Last question then in a way, last arena. Um, uh, we've talked about, you know, the, the staff and the populations coming in. But obviously, you know, in terms of school, I don't know how many sort of nationalities you have in your school. But again, presumably, do you ever encounter issues where, you know, one pupil has done something and they don't see the issue of it because culturally, it's not a big deal and other pupil has been offended by it or they raise something and they say, oh, it's nothing, it's just this. And then you think, no, that is a big deal, but it's them and their background that's not considered a problem. And again, that's, again, I'm, I'm aware that what I'm saying there is quite vague. But I think you know what I mean is that do you ever encounter and you have to say to people, no, no, yeah, that's think, important. I think so. And I think even from the from the from the approach of just, you know, someone who's where English is not their 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 mother tongue, mm. sometimes things can be said and their their intention is is not how it's received, but because perhaps the language, you know, that what they're speaking, you know, for example, when I lived in Asia. This is not in a school, but I would walk in a shop. I mean, I'm like five foot 11. Uh, and then I would go in and they would go, I've got no size for you. You're too big. So, and you'd be, you know, I remember when I first moved, I was like, wow, brutal. <laughs> but, you know, or they said, oh, just got XL. You need triple XL. Or, you know, just things like this. They, 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 but it's, that's their culture. They're very direct. And plus as well, English is not their mother tongue. So, the translation comes across much harsher than the intention. <laughs> and so you would, I did, you do get that same sort of thing within schools. Mm. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't, I can't think of anything, but if I were a schoolgirl and I was at, you know, somewhere and someone said that to me in school, I'd be quite upset. But again, having those conversations where, you know, Saying, oh, that haircut makes you look fat is quite normal in some places. Whereas I think in the UK, we're very sensitive to commenting on appearance mm. and anything like that. And that's cultural. Um, so talking about that, you know, if we did have a case, it's about bringing those, you know, very much a restorative session. Mm. That's what, you know, do you understand that, that although your attention was this, your words made this person feel this way? And, and and try and have that restorative conversation. So moving forward, no one's upset because no one's really doing it with malice. Yes. But it's just, you know, differences and, and how we bridge those understanding of differences and approaches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think I think your answer makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm, I'm well aware that it's a, it's a delicate topic and it's hard to like talk about specifics because you can't. But um, but but you know, talk about the, the the how you can approach it, I think is important and you know. 
for that. It's, it's, it's very interesting to hear, you know, the first part of our conversation, which was about the, the trend you're seeing in your school and how you've managed that. And then secondly, the sort of wider, the wider sort of background to a lot of this and how it affects international schools. And I, I'm sure a lot of leaders listening to this will either be sort of reassured to know they're not the only one, you know, who thinks about these things and has to think about them hard and really work it all out and knows that, yes, you know, it is this difficult sometimes. But also, yeah. hopefully, there's some insights of kind of, oh, maybe we need to do another little bit of CPD, or we need to look at online CPD, or we need to make sure, you know, we're aware that there's exam anxiety might be higher and students just aren't telling us. You know, we've, we've yeah. heard some insights from you there. So, hopefully, again, the podcast is a great way to get people listening and talking and sharing and, you know, um, and, and talking about that. Are you on Twitter? I can't remember if you are or not. No, I'm not. Not on I'm Twitter. Not okay. Twitter, no. So, well, you can't, you um, can't hear people's responses on Twitter then. No. But <laughs> certainly, if people, if people want to tell me at Dan Worth, if they listen to the podcast and, what they, what they thought of it i can always pass that on to kate um, via email and like that. That so it's all about networking in the international world isn't and it and that's the thing and with safeguarding there's no there's no you know there's no book you there's no okay you get disclosed this you do this or this happens you do this and that's the thing with safeguarding it's very case by case and situation by situation so i'm sure a lot of leaders like myself and and i feel like this sometimes you know yeah you, you have your own anxiety about you know are we doing enough mm. is that you know and because there is no textbook you know one to you know mm. you can't just learn how to deal with situations yes experience helps you grow and develop and yes training does but there's always that one disclosure that just you know is it left field and wow okay not had this to deal with before and so i think for for me you know, as, as, as a school leader, just having that team and having the team with us and, and working with each other side by side rather than leader and this and that. And, and, and it makes a huge difference to, mm. to, to how we approach the safeguarding. Yeah. yeah. And, and but yeah, I think a long-winded way of saying that, you know, we're all learning every time and that it's mm-hmm. okay I think, yeah, okay to just go, actually, I'm not sure how to take this next. And, and talking to someone about that and saying, look, I've got this and I, I'm not clear about how I'm going to move forward with this. And, yeah. and someone else saying, great, I can help you with And that's important, I yeah. think, with safeguarding. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point to end on as well because it, it does sort of sum up this. Wasn't, it's what it's all about, isn't it? It's not about saying, right, we, we've got that. We're, we're, we've done it. We've done the safeguarding. It, it's, it's an ongoing thing that constant refreshes constantly changes you need to talk you need to network you need to collaborate to make it because whether that's into school between staff between your school down the road or, or globally like you know hopefully through being podcasts like this so thank you so much for talking to us about it because you know it clearly is a sensitive area it's hard to be too open but i think you can really have shared as much as you possibly can about what you do what why you do it the, the sort of trends of this which i think is really really great really you know what we want to, what we want to be doing with the podcast and tes international generally on, on the website as well so Thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know, good luck with the exam season. I hope the sandstorm passes soon as well, so you can get outside. Um, and I know we'll speak again in the future. But for now, for this podcast, thank you for sharing and thank everyone for listening. Thanks, Dan, for having me. It's been great. Thank you.